Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffee. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I am so excited because today is actually a small business edition of our podcast, and we are a small business, and so obviously I have a lot of passion for this. And so what's the topic? Why are we focusing on small businesses today? Well, we actually came up... I shouldn't say we, I should say the brilliant Daisy McCarty came up with a top 10 list, the top 10 actions that you can take for immediate business impact. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Daisy, welcome back to the podcast. Always excited to have you on. It's great to be back. It's a great audience to talk to. I'm excited about today's topic. Yes. And you are masterful at this one. This one was so fun getting to see the list and uh, walk alongside with you. So why don't we just start at the top? The number one thing that you have on the list for immediate business impact, you say, decide exactly who is going to help your business grow. So I'm just going to take a stab at this, that you're talking about targeting. You're talking about um, making sure you get your audience right. Am I on point with that? Exactly. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about, and that is buyer personas. So you could be selling your product or service to any number of different target markets, but they're not going to help you grow. So it's about deciding what is going to have the most impact on revenue. And for some organizations, they'll identify three or four different personas that all make sense on paper. But when you start digging into where does most of the business revenue come from, based on deal size, based on recurring revenue, based on how much referral business they get from one customer to the next, it paints a very different picture. So for some organizations, they need to just focus on one. For others, there are a couple. Usually for small businesses, if you're focusing on more than two personas, you're going to be stretched too thin. So you do have to make some of the tough decisions. I could not agree more. And I know from your work, one of the one of my favorite twists that you've done for clients is they have an audience persona. And so you guys out there, sometimes you guys call them avatars or your ideal client profile, but who wants to buy from you? But so you have a market one, but then I've also seen where you have built a referral buyer persona, like the person who sends you the most refers or would love to introduce you to people because of the kind of value. I think that's a brilliant twist. It is a really great option for a lot of small businesses because going after end clients one by one by one takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, or it takes a lot of spend just to get in front of enough people. But when you have someone who's funneling you know, half a dozen to a dozen clients to you every year, they're high quality referrals, they've already been vetted, they're already very close to the end of the funnel by the time they get to you, you're saving a ton of money on sales and marketing. So if you can put more of your marketing budget, more of your focus toward those key referral partners and really make them feel special and bring value to them in their network, you can get a lot more ROI. Okay. I also love that you just brought up saving money because I think that is the one thing people, especially small businesses get so scared because they say, but I can serve everyone, but my product or my service is amazing for everyone. But what they're saying 
is that I am saying yes to wasting my time, wasting my attention, wasting my marketing dollars, and potentially wasting you know my sales efforts on people that are not the right fit for our clients. So I always want to make sure people are hearing this with the depth of impact that you're speaking to because this is a big, big deal. And small businesses do not have resources that they can just afford to throw down the drain, you know, and trying to see if this works. That's true. And even as you're looking through a current client list, you have to start making tough decisions. There may be clients that you like on a personal level, but they're not the type of clients you need more of because they don't bring in the majority of your revenue. They don't have the largest deal size. They're not the easiest ones to close, the easiest ones to service. Or, you know, they're just not going to help bring in that recurring revenue um, over the lifetime of the customer. At the same time, you may have really big clients who are making your life miserable and they're making things difficult for your team. And it doesn't matter how much money that they spend with you. Number one, they're never going to be satisfied. And number two, they're going to be draining your productivity and making it harder for you to go out and get more of the types of clients that you do want. So there's a balance there between what kind of revenue impact is it? potential customer having? And is that someone who shares your values and is going to be a joy to work with? You know, um, before you wrap this one up, I mean, it brings up a story in my mind, in my business journey um, a long time ago, like the difference between what should be versus what is. And so there was a particular manufacturing space that we ended up building very rapid, deep expertise in. And so of course the marketing play and the business development play was let's go double down on that. Let's circle the wagons. Let's go to other people in this market. Let's show up because we're a specialist now, right? And we could not get referrals from these people to save our life. So we did land clients, but it took massive hustle. And I was mind blown because we were driving a lot of really exciting results. I was so proud of this work. And finally, one of my clients said to me, well, we can't tell people about you because then they'll hire you. And then we miss out on our competitive advantage. And it's exactly what you were saying, though, about not having insight in regards to how they saw what we delivered. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, if we just keep pursuing this and I'm spending so much time and attention trying to drive referrals in, a dis in addition to chasing things, and they were actively trying to make sure that people couldn't find out who we were, <laughs> you know, and so we really had to switch that, but it would have been nice to um you have had some clear thinking around that. Sure. So it's always good to not assume what has value to your potential referral partners. So yeah. it's good to have frank conversations about what you're trying to accomplish with your business. And they, they'll usually tell you at that point if they want to help you or if they don't want to have that conversation. I all. think that's huge. Like you just gave the audience permission to have frank conversations. And I could not agree with more with you. Don't waste your words. Tell people the truth, ask them you know, what you need to know, and they will appreciate and give you better information if you do. Love that. Okay, so let's move on to number two. So it's time to say the right thing. Say the right thing. So this is really diving into messaging for you. So how do they say the right thing? How does a small business know what words to use in order to make sure that they're going to get business with those words. Sure. So I work with a lot of small businesses that have a lot of subject matter experts within the organization. So they know a massive amount about the root cause of customers' problems and the solutions that will fix them. But they can often lose sight of the fact that their customers usually don't know 
why they have a problem or they've identified a, the wrong problem. They think that the problem is A and it's really B, but you can't market to people by telling them up front that they're wrong about what they think their problem is. Yes. You have to talk to them in the language that they're used to. You have to use the concepts and you have to talk to them about the problem that they've identified first. You'll have time later if you've built rapport to educate them. But up front, if you're not using the language and defining the problem in the same way that your customers are, you are going to be saying the wrong thing, even if it's technically right. Yes. Saying the right thing at the right time is critical. And there's, it's weird because it sounds like an oxymoron to say you will have time. And that, especially when we're talking about having immediate impact, you're saying, talk to them about their pain, use the words that they describe, don't dive into that subject matter expertise, which on the surface sounds like you're slowing things down, but that's not the case. So why is that not the case? Sure. So people only have the attention span and the bandwidth to pay attention to things that they're already thinking about and they already care about. So if you're going in with a completely new concept that doesn't match any of the what they have on file in their head already, they're not going to pay attention to it. They are going to say, well, that sounds cool and interesting. You're obviously a smart person, but you're not talking about the problem that I actually have. Yes. I mean, think about we can even just pull from our own personal lives, being interrupted by your kid or your spouse or a coworker or somebody on the street where you are in a specific mind space and then you get interrupted and you're like, no, I don't, I'm not going to pay attention to that right now. And we do that with marketing messages. We do it for all of the things vying for our attention. And so I love what you're saying right there because that is how you engage people faster is by making sure that they know you specialize in them is basically what you're saying. Yes, I think I would coin a term affirmation marketing versus interruption marketing. Ooh, okay, keep going. So it's something that they're already concerned about, already thinking about, already trying to figure out if it's a solvable problem, trying to figure out if anybody cares that it's a problem for them. So you're affirming something that they're already thinking about rather than trying to distract them away from what they're currently focused on. Because it's a lot harder to do that than it is to just say, yes, and, as yes. you would like in improv. Yes. It's not, you're wrong, or no, we're not going to do it this way. It's just, yes, and. This is, this is the problem as you perceive it. Yes, and it's a problem worth solving. We care about solving it. That's what we specialize in. Brilliant. Conversation. So how to say the right thing? Yes, and. Talk to them about what they already care about. I love it. Okay, so going further down, so leading over to number three. So if you're talking to people about themselves, doesn't sound like differentiation, right? And marketing is all about differentiation. So one of the things that you're constantly saying in regards to making media impact is that different, differentiation is defined by the customer, whoa, like that's a mind bender. So like, take me down this path about, you know, about how you're talking to the customer about them. How do you stand out? Sure. So there are two parts to this. And the first thing that I always encourage small businesses to do is understand their competitive landscape. Because it's easy if you've been in business 10 years, 20 years, you're really good at what you do. Your existing customers really love you. It's easy to think that your difference is obvious to everyone when in fact you could be using exactly the same words, making exactly the same promises and claims as 70% you know, of the rest of the market. Yeah. Your 
prospective customers don't know the difference. They don't have a way to tell the difference. So number one, you have to make sure you're not sounding like, like everyone else. And that means you have to know what everybody else is saying. And real quick, just because you look at a competitor and you say, well, but they don't, they don't have the same customer service as we do. Like we are better. Better is not a differentiation strategy because a prospect doesn't know that. And so you still, to your point, you still sound the exact same, even if you are better. Does the market know that? Mm. Not until you have a chance to prove it. Exactly. Unless you have some celebrity endorsement where somebody they really care about is saying you're the best thing since sliced bread. No, they're, they're used to everybody saying they're the best. So what makes you different? I found that the best way to tease out what really makes you different is to do customer interviews. So this is something I do with all of my clients. When they come in, I want to talk to, you know, five or six of their customers. They can be, you know, different personas, different roles. It doesn't matter. What I want to understand is what did they love about the company? And it's not always what the company thinks they care about. Yeah. It's very surprising. There are often things that I find that are very different that my clients aren't even aware of that are absolutely critical for their customers. That's the things that delight them. That's the things that they talk about when they're talking to other people in yes. their network. And when you take what actually matters to your customers from their own mouths and you use that language and you use that as your differentiation, then not only, A, are you telling the truth, which you always have to do with your brand for it to be effective and resonant, but you are, again, using the language of your customers, not just their pain points, because your competitors are probably going to be good at figuring out the same pain points that you can, but what are the things that really make a difference on the back end when you're serving clients, and that's what is the differentiation for your business. Well, and I want to you know, pinpoint something that you're saying right there. You are not interpreting what that customer said, you are literally talking about using their exact verbatim words at certain points in ways in, in, in how they describe um, the company. Is that correct? Yes. Just like you don't use your language to describe their problem, you don't use your language to describe your differentiators. You use your customer's language. And, you know, and so since we're talking about small businesses, this is important because it's why voice of the customer is so effective when done by a third party, somebody external, because you couldn't reframe it and turn it into an internal language in the first place. So when I'm thinking about a small business, they should tap resources that they have though. If they have somebody else in the business that can ask questions that is not as familiar with the delivery or with the language, or if there's any opportunity at least to restrain themselves from changing the language or just record it. That's really, really important. Like it's got to be frank, fresh, and clear, not listened to from your own internal lens. Sure. It prevents you from asking leading questions yeah. and it prevents the, the customer from truly speaking their mind because there's usually a lot of value in asking the, what could we have done better? Yeah. What could make things go more smoothly? You get a lot of great stuff from that and it provides you ways to amplify your differentiation because when you fix the things that need to be fixed, then all there's left to focus on is what makes you different. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So that was number three. Different is defined by the customer. So moving on to number four. Oh, I love this topic because it's heavy. We're talking about content. What is the thing that you can do for immediate compact uh, content? So you talk about 
maximizing value, create content that maximizes value. So what does content have to do with value? Content, such a big like topic. What am I even talking about? Why are you talking about value when you're talking about content? Sure. So number one, the digital space is incredibly crowded and it's becoming more crowded all the time. So creating content for the sake of creating content, you will never win that game as a small business. You don't have the time, you don't have the resources, you don't have the money to do that. Well said. So the first thing you need to understand is that every single piece of content you create needs to deliver value for your customers and be worthy of their time because you're asking them to spend time with you and it should be worth it. So my advice for small businesses to maximize their impact and their ROI on their content is to have a handful of pieces. And that could start with just like two or three of really in-depth, solid content that forms the basis of most of their content marketing. So these would be the top things that their customers need to know. It could be proprietary information that they've gathered over the years that they can present that nobody else can present, or ways that they solve problems that no one else can solve or can't solve in the way that they can. So they have content that's difficult for anyone else to truly replicate and make sure that it aligns with, again, the people that you want to sell to, the kinds of deals you want to do more of. You know, don't focus on the thing that's like, going to sell a bunch of one-off projects, focus on the thing that's going to bring you those long-term, highly engaged clients. And from those pieces of core content, you can then slice and dice it into blogs and social media posts and infographics, make short videos from it, um, make it the topic of the podcast uh, subjects that you talk about whenever you're invited as a guest on a podcast. So it's the thing that you use to to really drive all of the conversations around your marketing. I love it. You know, it's interesting because just from consumer marketing and all of us being consumers, we know this, but then we leave this core fundamental knowledge about what works in marketing. And it's that you have to beat the drum. You have one or two clear messages and you just repeat them. So for instance, Super Bowl ads, they don't just run them one time. They run them for the rest of the year ad nauseum, but it's because that's what works. And really, when you're talking about content, like high value content that people use, don't keep, don't keep recreating the wheel. Give people what they want. Help them to learn that this is important. Um, so, you know, it's funny because we're surrounded by that repetition, which suggests repetition works and repurposing this similar idea works. But then small business owners, we have a tendency to want to recreate the wheel all the time. Sure. And there's the tendency to want to do what everybody else is doing. Oh, oh. They, they did a blog about that. We need to do a blog about that. Good oh, point. they did a white paper about We need to do a white paper. Why? If you can't answer the why question, then don't make the content because yes. you can't get that time investment back. Yes, exactly. What impact is it having on the business? Okay. So going more specifically into topics though, because I think people can understand, okay, maximize your time, high value, don't overcreate content, but how do they know what to say? Cause we already went down the messaging path at how easy it is to want to talk about what we want to talk about, where it needs to be defined by the client. So how do we pick topics? Sure. So there are two elements to this. Number one, as you're going through the process of defining your buyer personas and doing voice of the customer interviews, your internal knowledge around what do people always ask about? What are the things that are always sticking points? What are the issues that are always coming up, you know, over and over and over again? Those are 
the low-hanging fruit. The other place to look is SEO because, yes. again, you need to be creating content that is what your customers are looking for, not what you think they should know or what you would like to write about or what makes you look and feel smart. It's about, again, how are they defining a problem? What are they trying to do to solve it? Where are they looking to solve it? What kind of questions are they asking? What kind of topics do they care about and want to read about? Uh, so having someone help you with really in-depth SEO research, especially if you're going to be taking that you know, skyscraper or pillar content and using it, in for SEO across social, across blogging, across video, across all these different platforms, you really need to know which keywords you're targeting and what key phrases you're targeting so that you're getting the most visibility. Otherwise, you're going to be creating really high value content, but you're going to have to manually drive traffic to it. And that's going to take a long time and a lot of effort. I love it. I could not agree more. And you know, these are the kind of hacks that I wish, you know, that I would have wanted to be given if I wasn't in marketing. So for instance, um, there are lots of tools, lots of highly advertised tools that, you know, will give you these queries, but the thing is you don't have time to use them. So going onto an Upwork or finding a talented freelancer and just clearly saying, you know, what keywords, what content is out there that I should be writing about that SEO investment, a couple hundred dollars, whatever it is, that insight Oh my gosh. I mean, that can be a game changer for making sure that you're actually putting your time and attention as something that's going to make a difference and that you can use in your sales cycle even. And to that point, if you are bringing in someone from outside the organization, number one, you already have to understand what your personas are and what your messaging is. Otherwise, they can't do effective research for you. They're going to come back with really generic stuff, stuff that's not appropriate or relevant for your target personas. Bravo. And you do have to use your own common sense and expertise to say, okay, that's a great topic, but it does not align with my messaging and it doesn't align with what I know personally about my customers from years of serving them. Oh, I love that. You know, one example is, um, in commercial manufacturing, especially industrial manufacturing or commercial, uh, construction. Well, some of the terms are the same for the kind of things that you would put in a home. So pipe, or plumbing, or fittings, or all sorts of different things. And if you are trying to rank or write for those keywords, but you're on the commercial or industrial side, you could be wasting loads of money for somebody who's trying to fix a broken toilet, you know, versus putting in a very sophisticated multi-million dollar system into a hospital or something like that. And so I love what you said right there, because you do need to go in and give the professionals what they need so they can give you better stuff. It's kind of the garbage in, garbage out, or treasure in, treasure out. You know, if you are giving good insight, then you can reap even better insight from professionals. So I love that nuanced point. Okay, moving on. So I think this is the point where we're going to start transitioning into tactics. Because when I do speaking engagements, people go, okay, 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 I get it. I get the strategies important. I get the messaging. Okay. But just tell me exactly what to do. Like exactly. Like what's the thing I should be doing right now. So the next half of the list is really about that. And so number six is about how to choose tactics. And what we wrote down is, you know, is go where your buyers go. So going where your buyers go, like how does that translate to choosing the right tactics? Sure. So you can spend a ton of money on every single social media platform out there, but if you're not on the platforms where your clients are engaging, then it doesn't matter. And something to keep in mind is they don't necessarily have to be engaging in business activities on a platform 
for it to be the right platform for you to be on. As long as they're there with their brain <laughs> and their eyes open, if you're getting your messaging in front of them, they're storing that away for later. So, you know, you might be B2B, but Facebook might be where groups of people congregate who are your ideal clients and being able to identify that and put your brand in front of them, especially if your competitors are mostly focused on LinkedIn, because you know, that's where most of the B2B marketing happens. You've just done an in run around them in yes. a, in a way that uh, is going to help you get more while spending less. Um, at the same time for most B2B clients, yeah, you do need to be on LinkedIn and you need to be there all the time. I totally agree. I would say if we're going to get specific and I know going down a rabbit hole, I mean, one that's really come up with it, come up a lot lately is YouTube. Um, especially men, something like, did you know YouTube usage is something like 70% men? And so it's, but it's, you've got to know who are you targeting? You've got to know, are they the kind of people that prefer video or prefer YouTube for their content? Um, and yeah, go where they go. I completely agree. And it's, it's actually that basic. And I think people overcomplicate this like, Ooh, should I do a webinar? Should I do this? Should I be on TikTok? Whoa, back it up. Sure. <laughs> are your people there? And podcasts are another great example because yeah. there are personas where you have a CEO or an executive in a highly demanding job and they do not read stuff, but they listen to podcasts while they're jogging or while they're commuting or while they're doing other things. So if you know what they're consuming, and you can get in front of them there, that's where you're going to have the biggest impact. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, another thing that you've talked about in regards to choosing tactics is you, and you, what you wrote down is clarify the impact on the business. So what does that mean? How do people know? And I'm sure everybody's thinking, well, of course I wish I knew exactly what impact, you know, my social media posts would have on the business. So how do you as a CMO translate, clarify the impact on the business when choosing the tactics? Sure. So there's a lot of marketing jargon that can go into that around <laughs> conversion rate optimization and all of that. But you can boil it down to simple language. Do people know who you are? If they don't know who you are and you have no visibility, then you need to be spending on brand awareness if you want to get in front of people. And that could be brand awareness on a very broad scale across uh, Google, across social media. It could be just brand awareness among highly targeted referral partners. Everybody in this community, everybody who's a CPA in your city needs to know your name. It, so it's, you know, you're going to where the thing is that's stopping you from getting more clients. And sometimes it's very top of funnel like that. Sometimes it's much lower down. You know, sometimes it's just deals keep going stale and you need to look at what can you do to reactivate those? And sometimes that's a sales conversation. Sometimes it's marketing nurture that you need to be doing more of so that you're continuing to touch base and keep things warm so that when people are ready to close, you know, you're there right in front of them still. I love that. You know, I think there's some low lying fruit in regards to small businesses that need really near term revenue impact. They've got to be thinking about what can happen right now. Well, who's, who already trusts you? 
Right. So one of the number one places, you know, that I learned to go to was current clients. And so maybe it's for referrals, but maybe you can go deeper and wider with them. They might have ideas where you can bring additional value and they would gladly pay you because they already trust you and you just didn't realize that was a value add that you could charge for. And then guess what? You can do it for others. So looking at who is already in your, you meant in your circle, you mentioned referral partners, right? So if somebody's asking for a referral, they're very close to the point of sale. And so I love what you're saying there. Visibility with referral partners is much closer to the point of impact if you have to have near term there. But I think that's the thing. So visibility is important. You're hundred percent right. If you're invisible, you're dead in the water, but how long then will it take somebody who learns what problem you solve? How long will it take them to get to the point where they actually have some sort of urgency to make and you don't to make a decision and you don't know. And so you've got to really think about, and I think you use the term sales activation sometimes, but, and, and I, I'm going to go off on a little tangent. Lead generation is a pet peeve of mine in regards to marketing jargon. And it's exactly what you're saying. So people go, I need more lead. I need lead gen. I need lead gen. Send me leads. Whoa, whoa. Because some leads might be qualified in the year 2025. And it doesn't mean that they're not a lead. It just means that they're not buying right now. And so leads can be wildly misunderstood. They still have to be nurtured. You know, I mean, there's so many things to qualification. So developing high quality leads is not about just flipping on a tactic. I mean, it's a thought process about who are they? Where would they come from? I mean, all, what do they care about? Why are they being triggered? All the things that you've had on this list so far. Sure. And I'd like to come back to something you said that was really important about going deeper and wider with your current clients, because I know that there are statistics around this, how much less it costs to get more revenue from existing clients than it does to land a new client. And for small businesses, this is something you can't afford to miss. So marketing to your current clients, just as important as marketing to future clients. I have a, a business that I'm working with right now, and I was doing their voice of the customer interviews. And some of these customers had no idea about entire new solutions and service lines that my client had because nobody had followed up with them and said, hey, here's something additional that we can provide for you to make an yes. impact in your business. It's so simple. Yes. And it, it just, it didn't make it onto their radar that that was part of the marketing that they should be doing on an ongoing basis. And it's it's the lowest lying fruit that you can find. I absolutely love that because you can harvest so much from that, you know, going back to learning what your customers care about. Because when we were building our own marketing plan, we had a lot of conversation around customer experience, customer delight, customer journey, because it does have to represent a significant foundation for all future revenue and growth cannot come if you are constantly losing your base. If you're constantly losing as fast as you're winning, you ain't growing. And so I love that you're saying that because it's absolutely critical and people do just gloss right over it or they like to think, oh, that's customer service. That's not marketing. Ooh, be careful with those silos. Like you can't afford to do that when you're a small business. Can't afford to do it ever, but <laughs> small business conversation today. Absolutely. Okay. So moving on, we're talking about impact on the business. So we're going to stay tactical. One of the converse questions I get nonstop is, all right, all right, all right. But what should I be doing on social media? And anytime you are talking about social media, one of your go-tos is about sharing the spotlight. Like, and you are really, really big on 
how to do social media right. So talk to me about that. When Why do you say share the spotlight? And how do people do social media right nowadays? Sure. So one thing that people cannot resist is responding to public comments. <laughs> now you want to make sure that your comments are positive, but the quickest way to get someone to look at what you're talking about and to respond to it is to make it about them because that's, you know, everybody's favorite topic yes. is themselves. Yes. So absolutely. It's great to be posting your own content. And we talked about, you know, creating the high value content and slicing it, dicing it for social media, which is absolutely true. But as much as possible, Make it about your customers, about your referral partners, about people that you respect and admire in your network, about people that are bringing value. You know, tag them, comment. Um, one of the things that I love to do when I have a, a new worthy business in my network is to introduce them to everybody. Just do a quick post. You know, tag them, tag their company, share an insight that they have, Brilliant. something from their website. And you know what? I also do a little follow up on my LinkedIn mobile app and send them a voice message to let them know that I, you know, I appreciate the value they're bringing to my network. And if they ever want to have a conversation, how do you be a sounding board on marketing or business strategy? It's a fantastic way to open things up and to let people know that you're there to give. I love it. So just to unpack and repeat that, I mean, you're talking about, yes, post great content repurposed from the content that, you know, you took time to develop. But then comment on other people's content. If you want fans, be a fan. And then when you do, send them a personal message. So you're literally talking about living in shocker, being social, like truly social in social media, but really investing um, to make sure that it works, not just throwing up some content out there and being like, peace out, hasta la vista, do your job, please get me some customers. <laughs> but you're really talking about how to make sure that engagement is central to what you're doing and you're being human. Yes. LinkedIn is absolutely a sales and marketing forum and a great place to promote your brand, but it is and always will be about relationships first. Yeah. And that's the way to make sure that you're building and nurturing strong relationships through your social media process on LinkedIn. Make sure that it's about bringing value and sharing the spotlight. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Side note. I do want to point out too, like you really walk this walk. I mean, you, you did just use an example specifically, but even in client um, advice and guidance, I mean, you're teaching them, you got to do the work. You got to get in there. You got to do that. And even, I mean, our social media team really does a lot of manual engagement to make sure that we're maintaining the human aspect and not just pumping out blind content. Yes. It's not an advertising forum. And well treating said. it like one is going to get you in trouble. Yes, exactly. Okay, number nine. I'm not going to pull any punches. You wrote, use video. Use video, absolutely. Human faces, human voices, real people. It doesn't have to be super high-quality production. If you're a small business, get a decent camera. Smartphone camera will often work if you've got some good lighting. Make sure the sound is good. You don't have to dress up. People like real in the era of Zoom. They're expecting more and more reality, uh, warts and all in yeah. some cases, as long as it's honest and it matters to them. So video goes across website. You should absolutely have a YouTube channel that you're leveraging because Google loves your website more if you have YouTube content. Um, you should be using it on social media. Make sure if you're posting video on LinkedIn, you're uploading it natively because otherwise LinkedIn is going to suppress 
the views that you get. And it even goes into direct outreach. So we use tools like BombBomb for sending personal video messages. And we use these both for prospects to get people onto discovery calls. And it works incredibly well for that. Love so Bomb much. Bomb. So much more effective than yes. just a written message, but also for client engagement to stay in touch with people, to congratulate them on the progress that they've made. So it's about that ongoing engagement. And the more they see your face and hear your voice, the more they know you and like you and trust you. And those are all things that are very important for your brand. Absolutely. And you built your brand doing this type of thing. I built mine as well as um, built our business development, early business development pipeline doing this kind of stuff. I mean, it works. It still works. It's not a back in the day type of a thing. I mean, this stuff is what connects, turns strangers into friends and potential customers. Absolutely. And generic content that you create that's for wide distribution is fine, but there is no substitute for an actual personal video that you made just for that person. Yep. Show your face. Show your face. I could not agree more. Okay. So this brings us to number 10. And I think I kind of gave this one away a little bit, but it's do the work, do the work. What do you mean when, you know, when we're talking about, you got to do the work. It's always about being intentional and consistent. So you're doing the right thing and you're doing it over and over and over again. So that's, that's the real key to success with marketing. It will have an immediate impact if you do the things that we listed before, but you have to keep doing them. It's never one and done with marketing because yeah. people forget new people are coming into your market or exiting your market all the time. New competitors are coming into your space. Disruption can happen with technology. It can happen with the economy. It can happen with all kinds of things. And if you aren't being consistent and intentional and doing the right things, you're always going to be behind the curve. I love that so much because you're talking about building a system and you're right. Marketing has no finish line. That is not a thing. You do not set it and forget it. But you know, it's interesting because it's easy to get scared. What if a big competitor comes along? What if somebody steals my client list? What if somebody figures out my secret sauce or what if my messaging is too good and my, my competitors steal it? And the interesting thing about that is the number one thing that will protect you from all of that is literally going back to number one and back to know your customer, making sure that you are targeting and that, that buyer persona, because if you're paying close attention to them, you are starting to be bulletproof because you are leading the pack in how well you treat them, how much you care for them, and that you're just adjusting and evolving based on how to best serve them. And so that's, you know, so that system approach is what will protect you and keep you resilient. And I'd also like to point out that because being consistent and intentional over time is not the easy path, most of your competitors aren't going to take it. And I see this even with small companies going up against really big companies. The big companies just want to spin their way out of this. Yes. They don't want to put in the work necessarily. So the thing that keeps you insulated from the, the big spenders is that you're doing the right things. I love it. Okay. So... All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I think we need to give some bonus content. <laughs> so I'm going to throw in a random number 11. Um, how much are people supposed to spend? Like, how do they figure out as a small business what's an appropriate budget or what are they supposed to be spending on marketing? Sure. So it's a good idea to at least understand what the standards are for your specific industry. So for some 
organizations, it could be six or 7%. If you are in software sales, that could be up to 13 to 14% of your revenue that should technically be allocated to your budget. Most small businesses are going to choke when they hear numbers like that. It's just not something that uh, is something that they can see themselves doing. Yeah. So it's important to, again, go back to the overall strategy. What are the things that are going to have most impact? Where are, what things are making it hard for us to get in front of people and address those first? Um, It's also important to understand that when you're in a small business, often business development, sales and marketing are kind of smooshed together. It could be the same person doing all of them. So it's, you can look at that as kind of a group budget and make sure that the actions that you're taking are having an impact across all three of those aspects. So marketing and business development and sales should all be working together. And then making sure that whatever budget you're spending is sustainable for long enough that you can actually see a result from it. So if you think that running ads for a month is going to fix your lead generation problem, it's not going to do that. That's right. So you need to be choosing tactics very carefully in terms of them being sustainable. And the other thing to remember is that you can always spend more time and attention to make up for money, at least to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because you still have to spend you still have to spend. You know, you have to spend money, you have to spend time, you have to spend attention. And in what combination, that's for each individual business to remain profitable and, you know, chase stability and success. But you you have to win this game and you're not going to win it by setting yourself behind and not appropriately budgeting in order to make sure that you can win and that you're not underinvested, whether it's time, attention or money. You cannot afford to ignore this piece. Yes, do nothing and spend nothing are not options. <laughs> that is not business strategy. No. Never. It's never been good business strategy. Daisy, thank you so much. And you guys, I want to actually give you homework. So go back, take these action items and figure out how they apply to business. We titled this immediate impact on your business for a reason. We've lived it. We guide it. We see it happen all the time. And so go ahead and apply these principles because you can have immediate impact on your revenue on on your growth by diving in and making sure that this is specific to you. So thank you guys so much. We will post this in the notes and maybe we'll even create a piece of content about it. But side note, this isn't always easy work to do, is it? No, it's not, especially for small businesses where the founder is wearing all the hats and has had to learn how to build a business from the ground up, how to do the sales, how to serve the customers, how to develop a great product or service. Marketing is an extra hat to wear, and it's one that is highly complex, so it's not surprising that it's a challenge. Yeah, because humans, we're complicated. (laughs) This is about as human as it gets when you're trying to manage and steward communication. And you know, it's funny, I mean, even growing a marketing business, this was so difficult in the beginning because the forest for the trees, I mean, making these decisions and even knowing, you know, the points of impact on my business were still challenging because I was so close to it. I was so emotional. And so, um, you're launching a small business cohort to help people not learn the hard way. (laughs) Absolutely. So it really breaks my heart when I see small businesses spending money on marketing and not getting results from it. And I've had, I don't know how many conversations where somebody's told me, you know, six figure spend, uh, 
that they didn't get anything from it. Yes. And they can't afford to make that kind of decision. And it's not something to feel bad about if that's something that you've, you know, feel like you've wasted money on this tactic or that tactic because you just didn't know better because nobody knows better until they go through the process of learning. Right. And it's a lot faster to get there if you've you're talking to somebody who can help guide that process. So the small business program that we've put together is really about shortcutting a lot of that process through education and through really actionable guidance. So by the end of eight weeks, a small business owner can go from not really having clarity on what they're doing, they're spending money, but they're not sure if they're spending it in the right ways, they're not sure how to message to differentiate themselves, to having everything from a solid brand message playbook to a custom marketing plan that's designed for their business to an execution roadmap so they know exactly what to do going forward. It is so exciting. And a side note, you know the weirdest thing I love about this is it's not a course. Do you know how much money I have wasted buying courses that I never ever was gonna have time <laughs> to go through in a self-paced manner. Like they always sound good in paper. And so they're literally gonna be guided by you as a CMO with other business owners to do this right and to have sounding boards. Absolutely. So it is live instructor led. There are breakout sessions, there is some homework. So for business owners because this to, is your business, yes. For business owners to learn how, how to make those confident marketing decisions going forward, there there are some things they need to learn and some things they need to do. And the nice thing about the homework is all about putting stuff into action immediately. It's not just about doing homework for the sake of proving that you know something or passing a test. It's all about, okay, I learned this thing. I can do it right now. Let's go make that change. I love it. I love it. Love it. So if you guys are interested in this mastermind, in really making sure that you're not wasting marketing dollars, but like Daisy said, making confident marketing decisions, check it out. Daisy, where can they find more information about this mastermind? Sure. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, I'll definitely be talking a lot more about this in the coming weeks. You can also find it on the marketingblender.com website. We do help guide you to figure out if this is the right fit for you because we are all about making sure that you have significant return on investment for your money and your time and your attention. So that's the goal of this course. So you guys, thank you so much, Daisy, for being here. And audience, thank you so much for tuning in with us. I'll see you next time. Onward and upward. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.